Hey, listeners of the Bio Report, I want to tell you about a new member benefit from the California Technology Council. CTC has teamed with Reprovada to offer members six months of Reprovada's COT Network service for free, which gives companies the power of a VPN at a fraction of the cost. A remote, flexible workforce is the new normal, but most corporate networks aren't built to accommodate work from home at scale. Reprovada's COT Network offers an easily deployable, affordable, and scalable solution to securely enable remote workers and protect the corporate network. To learn more about this and other member benefits, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The administration of biologics can be challenging because of the sheer volume of product needed to deliver a dose to a patient. It's for this reason that many of these therapies must be infused into a patient, a process that is disruptive, costly, and can take several hours. Halazine's enhanced drug delivery technology has been used by a number of biologics producers to take a therapy that would otherwise need to be infused to allow it to be administered with a subcutaneous injection. We spoke to Renee Tannenbaum, Vice President of Global Partnering for Halozyme, about the company's enhanced drug delivery technology, how it works, and the company's reorganization to focus on partnerships around it. Renee, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danny. A pleasure to be here. We're going to talk about Halazyme, its enhanced drug delivery technology, and, and how the company has rebuilt its business strategy around this. Let's start with Enhance, though. What is Enhance? That's a great question. Um, Enhance is based on the proprietary enzyme recombinant human hyaluronidase pH 20. Um, there is a human enzyme, a human hyaluronidase enzyme, and Halozyme has developed a recombinant version of that. Um, I'd be happy to go into a little bit more about how it works, if you'd like. Yeah, wh- what's the normal function of the enzyme in the body? Okay. So a little bit of biology then. So if you think about the subcut, if you think about the skin, there are three layers, the epidermis, the dermis, and then the, the subcutaneous space. The subcutaneous space is primarily composed of fat, uh, some uh, structural components like elastin and collagen, and then a sugar called hyaluronin. Hyaluronin forms a gel-like substance in the subcutaneous space, and this is what's important when it comes to enhance. That uh, that uh, gel-like substance creates a resistance to injecting volume into the sub-Q space. The typical volumes you can inject are usually one to two ml subcutaneously. And so um, what the enzyme does is it, uh, is it breaks down the hyaluronin as, as you're injecting the drug and the enzyme co-formulated together. It breaks down the hyaluronin so you can actually deliver large volumes of 
injections subcutaneously. And that's how the drug basically works. So when we think of biologics that are infused into a patient, is volume the issue of why those drugs get infused as opposed to injected? Exactly. Um, most of the biologics are large volumes. They can be 30, 60, 90 mLs. It depends on the concentration. If a partner, if a company wants to go to a smaller uh, injection volume that could be administered subcutaneously, they would co-formulate it with our enzyme. And that co-formulated product is injected subcutaneously. Our typical products uh, are in the range of 5 to 20 mLs. Uh, which is a lot of volume and a lot more than the standard one to two that you can deliver without the enzyme. And what is it actually doing once it's formulated with a, a biologic? So it doesn't do anything to the biologic, but when you inject the co-formulated product into the subcutaneous space, the enzyme breaks down the hyaluronin I mentioned that's in the skin. It's a sugar that's naturally in the skin. It breaks it down and opens the space. Think about it like opening the sub-Q space so that larger volume can be dispersed and so the drug can then be absorbed into the systemic circulation. So it facilitates that sub-Q injection of large volume fluids. What does it take to actually formulate a biologic with enhance? Does it actually, does it require doing something to bind it to it, or is it just a matter of mixing it into the, the liquid? It's, it's more the mixing. So typically what we do when we work with a, a partner and their therapeutic is we first want to make sure that the enzyme is compatible with their drug, that there's no effect of the drug on the enzyme or vice versa. So we test for compatibility. Then we would test for stability, making sure that the two, uh, when combined, the enzyme and the drug, are stable over a long period of time so that the drug can be manufactured and sit on the shelf for a period of time. Once that's done, then it's simply mixing the two together and the amount of enzyme relative to the amount of drug is extremely small. So the enzyme is in the order of micrograms of material versus the drugs, which are usually in milligrams. So a thousand fold differences. This has been used in a number of biologics already. Uh, some better known biologics, Herceptin and Rituxin have used this. How has this altered the delivery of these drugs? Um, it's been amazing, uh, quite frankly, and amazing for patients, for the healthcare system, as well as for our pharma partners. So if you think about it, Herceptin was typically given IV in a 30 to 90 minute injection. Um, Rituxin can be given anywhere from one and a half to four hours of an injection. But it's not just the injection itself. If you think about it, the patient has to go to an infusion center or a hospital to get that injection. They have to come in, they have to register, they see the healthcare professional, make sure all their blood work is fine, and then they get the infusion, then they're monitored afterwards, and then they go home. So even a two-hour inject infusion can take a whole day of someone's time to go in, get the infusion, recover, and go home. So think about that. Now, the Herceptin that's available sub-Q is a two to five minute injection and it can be given in the doctor's office and at some point we hope that many of these drugs will be self-administered or given by a nurse or a healthcare professional in the home that's not the case yet but that is the potential rituxin is now given in five to seven minutes 
So think about the time saving, the impact on quality of life of the patient and the caregiver, uh, very significant. Two recent examples, if I can just add on, uh, that we recently had two drugs approved in the subcutaneous form. Darzelex FastPro was approved uh, by Janssen for multiple myeloma. It's a 15 ml injection given in three to five minutes. Previously, patients had their initial dose in a seven-hour infusion and their maintenance wow. doses three to four hours. So think about that, seven hours versus three to five minutes. And the other drug that was just approved in the last couple of months is Roche's Fedsco, which is a combination of Herceptin and Pergetta for uh, patients with breast cancer, also 15 mLs given in five to eight minutes versus the two drugs given separately over as long as two and a half hours. So think about that impact. Is there a cost or reimbursement consequence of being able to move delivery from an infusion center to a, a doctor's office or a home setting? Absolutely. Um, and many of our partners have done uh, studies to measure time and motion and cost differences uh, in the hospital setting versus in the doctor's office. So the benefits um, you know, are not only to the patient from a quality of life uh, perspective, but there are many studies um, that our partners have published showing the impact on overall healthcare costs. So think about the physician time, the nurse's time, the pharmacist time in terms of mixing things, the infusion share time, and there are, in many countries, limited infusion shares for IV infusions. If you could take patients and have them get their drug in a doctor's office and free up uh, infusion shares for other therapies that don't have such an alternative, um, it's a real benefit to the healthcare system. So there's definitely reduced time, reduced costs, reduced materials for the health system in general. We're in the midst of a pandemic. How has this affected the case for Enhance and the discussions you've had with potential partners? It, it's actually elevated it, and uh, so it's a great question. Um, we've always talked about the benefits of sub-Q to both uh, the patients, the physicians, the hospital system, and, and for the pharma company. Um, now, even more so, patients don't want to go into hospitals or infusion chairs if they can avoid it. And unfortunately, what we're hearing is that many patients are not taking their drugs. They're, you know, they're not getting their oncologic treatment and their other treatments because they're afraid to go in, which would be really a shame. If they now have an alternative, um, it, it's so much easier for them to continue on with their treatments. So absolutely, uh, this um, pandemic that we're in really highlights the benefits of sub even more. Is there any kind of strategy around using Enhance for biosimilars? In the early days, um, our early partners um, looked at the sub-Q formulation development as a life cycle play, and therefore it was a new formulation that had the potential to get new IP, intellectual property, and therefore extend the exclusivity of the product. Um, we do see the opportunity that co-formulated uh, products with the enhanced technology could generate new intellectual property and potentially extend the exclusivity and delay the opportunities for biosimilars. So, uh, but more and more, our partners are actually recognizing that they should be developing a sub-Q formulation as the first presentation. It shouldn't be that you develop an IV and then have to switch to a sub-Q. If sub-Q can be better for patients, better for the health system, 
and differentiate you and your product within the competitive landscape, it would be behoove everyone to develop that subcutaneous formulation as the first presentation. And we're seeing our partners start to move in that direction. Well, what does the enhanced pipeline look like today? Well, it's, it's very exciting and it's growing. Uh, with our current nine partners, uh, we expect to have over 17 programs in various stages of development and commercialization by the end of this year. Uh, so that's a significant growth for us. Um, that pipeline will generate over a billion dollars in revenue by 2027. And we're excited about the continued potential that this can bring to patients uh, across many therapeutic areas. And we think there's much more room for an opportunity for growth uh, with new partners and new, new um, targets that could be developed in the sub-Q formulations. Alizyme late last year underwent a, a big shift in its business following the failure of an experimental therapy for pancreatic cancer. It cut 55% of its staff and ended its cancer program. What's the strategy for the company going forward? Well, we um, our, our first of all, let me say that uh, we were all extremely disappointed at uh, the failure of the, the PEC-PH20 pancreatic cancer program. It was a real disappointment for everyone at Halozyme, but mostly for the patients that we hoped would have benefited from this. That said, um, we had a strategy to pivot quickly, regardless of what the outcome of the, of the um, clinical trials were. And our strategy going forward is really to focus on Enhance and its growth potential over uh, the coming years. We have uh, our own IP until 2027. And so there's lots of opportunity for new Enhance deals and new partnerships, and that's our primary focus. Uh, separate from that, uh, we are always looking to expand our portfolio with new platforms that can complement this technology, and we'll be continuing to look at those opportunities. But our singular focus right now is continuing to grow in hands. I think of partnering in this industry as being uh, built around kind of co-development strategies. I, I, I take it the nature of the partnering agreements you have are are somewhat different. How? How involved are you with your partners as they develop a drug using this? Um, we are very intimately involved with our partners. And, um, and um, I would say even though it's not strictly a co-development that our partners um, are in charge of the development, we bring a lot of scientific advice, know-how about sub-Q injections, know-how about our technology, of course, and our experience in having done this many, many times before with other partners. So uh, we work very closely, especially um, in the early stages until we get into our first in human trials. There's a lot of collaboration and, and um, working together in that partnership. We um, continue that collaboration throughout uh, the drug development process and into the regulatory filing. So we are very much involved uh, and very closely involved with our partners. And that's, that's important to us. As you've been through this experience a number of times, what have you learned about what makes for a good partnership? That's always a great question. Um, I think, I think of partnerships like a marriage and, and maybe that sounds trite, but it really is. When we think about partnerships, there are three elements that we focus on. The strategic aspect, the operational aspect, and then the relationship aspect. 
the strategic um, is one about um, making sure that we are each meeting our respective goals for having entered into the partnership. And um, if you look across the industry, partnering is a very common um, common activity that, that many companies engaged in. But if you ask, and I know there have been many surveys done, have the partnerships achieved the strategic objectives and all the intent of what was originally expected? Uh, unfortunately, most companies would say no, it hasn't met met the, that uh, expectation. I would say for Halozyme, that's a really big focus. And for our nine partners, uh, we do health checks, we do um, uh, we, we meet as teams to understand how we're working together. We want to make sure we're meeting the strategic objectives as well as the operational and relationship. On the operational side, it's making sure that we understand um, what's expected of us, what's expected of the partner. We have timelines to meet and we want to make sure that we meet those commitments. And on the relationship side, it's all about the people. A partnership is really ultimately all about the people, the trust, the collaboration, um, um, the interaction and the transparency between the two organizations. If we are open, we share information, we're transparent about the good, the good topics and sometimes the challenging issues we might face, we can solve them together. But if we're not having that relationship at that level, then it, it can lead to problems. So I'm happy to say with our partners, we do, we do ask how we're doing. We do do health check surveys and uh, we are really pleased that, that all of our partners feel very positively about the relationship with Halazon. You are in charge of global partnering for the company. How has the change in the company's strategy affected your role? Um, from the perspective of alliance management, it has not changed it because I was leading the alliance management group. Uh, previously, the Alliance Management Group is the direct day-to-day uh, -day contact with our partners. Um, what I did do is take on additional responsibility to also lead business development. So my job has grown in responsibility, but the focus has always been for me on Enhance and it continues to be on Enhance. Renee Tannenbaum, Vice President of Global Partnering for Halozyme. Renee, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.